This is Bariatric Stories. Welcome back to another episode of Bariatric Stories with me, Rinda. Uh, happy July, everyone, and I hope 2021 has been much more pleasant for you than last year, which was quite a doozy for most of us. Uh, also, no matter what side of the fence you are with COVID and vaccinations, the main thing is that you are healthy, your family and friends and their families as well. Anyway, as usual, I'd like to take a brief moment to catch up before diving into the topic of this episode. So seven months into this new year has been interesting job-wise for me. Uh, Since recording the last episode in January of this year, (laughs) two episodes in the same year thus far. That's like a new record for me. I should get a cookie. So between January up to June, I've had about four jobs. Uh, One rolled over into the new year part-time, got a full-time temp job with Department of Health up to May and had a short stint with USPS. Uh, It wasn't a bad separation, but my body, I gotta say, was happy about it. I'm not 20-something anymore. Uh, Fourth job was doing document conversation, conversion, not conversation, document conversion with an amazing outsourcing company based in Bakersfield. Uh, sadly, that one lasted about a week and we separated on good terms too. I wouldn't mind doing future projects with them. So if you're looking for a great outsourcing company to work with, let me know. I would gladly give you their contact information. I love them. I'll let you know who they are too. It's all good. Job number five, I will be starting in a week or so from recording this episode with a pilot program with the state for remote job support. Remote support jobs, being a a little bit of yodeling there. Uh, So I will be working from home. So this is all new things here, all new things going on, as usual. So now that we're all caught up, give me a quick reset and we'll jump right in. Okay, last episode, we started with the psychological part of this pre-surgery process and covered the behavioral section of the assessment. So if you'd like to follow along with the same copy from the American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery or ASMBS, I am referring to that. That's the assessment I'm referring to. You can follow along with me. I have a link in the podcast description. You can just click on it, open it up, and then follow along with me. Uh, We will be doing cognitive and emotional. So if you are following the page count on the PDF, it's going to be page nine. But if you're actually looking at the page numbers on the page page, it's page six. Hope I didn't lose you there. Yeah. So cognitive and emotional. I'm going to read along real quick because I don't want this to be too long. And I'm going to put a little bit of my two cents in each one. Developmental history. Oh, this is going to be an interesting one. Okay, that's where I'm going to stop for this episode. So cognitive functioning. Bariatric candidates should be cognitively intact, have the intellectual resources to understand the surgical procedure, the associated risk, and the behavioral changes required to manage the surgically altered stomach. Um, Each evaluation should identify the nature and extent of any cognitive dysfunctions. It should address the type of degree of cognitive impairment or disability and whether the patient is capable of understanding the profound changes associated with bariatric surgery. 
If there are deficits to the cognitive functioning, assessing the degree to which the candidates have support to compensate for these deficits is essential to determining appropriateness for surgery. Wow, that was a mouthful at the beginning. Okay. So all in all, just having the full and clear understanding of the procedure, the risks, how your behavior may change due to the stomach, your stomach being surgically altered. Actually, it is going to change. In most cases, in some way, your behavior will change. It's, it's inevitable. Awareness, understanding, and support is like key elements here. There's going to be challenges physically while recovery and throughout the first six months of adjusting to your body's needs and what it will reject too. Sometimes you just feel like you have no control of how your body reacts or how it functions. My first two months, I was weak and had to be cautious of making sudden movements or accidentally overexerting myself, just doing the most common thing. You know, you think you're like, okay, I'm going to lose the weight. I'm recovering, but I want to build up my endurance. I only have two weeks of work off. I want to be able to walk from my car through the parking lot to my office and not get tired. And that was how I felt just trying to walk into the mall to get some walking. And I had to have someone with me that would kind of like spot me in case I have light dizzy spells. So some of the most common things mean, you know, you wouldn't even think. So you just have to be cautious and aware and really pay attention to your body. And you will have to just like prepare yourself for that kind of stuff. Moving on, knowledge of morbid obesity and surgical interventions. The evaluation may identify issues about which patients need to gather additional information before they can make a really informed decision to have surgery. Patients should be able to articulate their rationale for surgery and why it is right at this time in their life. Do they have a good understanding of the nature and mechanics of their particular surgery as well as the possible risks and complications of the procedure? You have to keep that in mind. Do they have a good understanding of what is expected post-operatively, including diet, exercise, following up, support group attendance, etc.? The evaluation should yield information about how the candidate has obtained this information as well as its accuracy. Mm -hmm. I'm not dissing you, but you know how some of those reviews on there are kind of like, what is going on? But, you know, watch where you get your information from. Where did you get your information? Do your research, um, you know, your due diligence and watch from reputable resources. You know, just be careful, but be more aware. Of your research. The evaluation should yield information about how the candidate has obtained this information. If additional, patient-specific recommendations are being made. Does the patient understand what they are? It's all a matter of, you sure you want to do this? Did you do your research and you know what's going to happen or at least be prepared of what could happen? You understand the procedure. You understand which procedure you're going to have sleeve, R&Y, you know, and the complications for those. Post-operatively is something that you're going to work on with your dietitian and your surgeon and your psychiatrist. So 
all of this is just mapping things out and sort of to be prepared of the unexpected, but something there's going to be changes and you're going to have to be at least ready for something to happen. Not exactly what, because everyone is different. Coping skills, emotional modulation, boundaries. Some bariatric surgery patients are especially susceptible to weight regain when faced with adversity that distracts them from attending to self-management guidelines. Clinically, we see maladaptive eating behavior, whether stress eating, emotional eating, binge eating, or night eating, associated frequently with poor stress management and with the inability to effectively self-modulate intense emotions or internal sensations of arousal, whether positive or negative. A careful assessment of the candidate's coping strategies will reveal whether coping skills training is indicated. Such an assessment includes asking about coping both with negative stressors, uncertainty, frustration, deadlines, depressed mood, anger, anxiety, or tension, or boredom, and with positive stressors, a raise, a promotion, a party, or vacation. A person who engages in one maladaptive coping behavior, stress eating, is at higher risk for ineffectual life stressor resolutions and or substituting another maladaptive coping behavior, compulsive shopping, and alcohol abuse, if he or she has not learned more adaptive options for managing their stressor. I think we covered all of that in the other previous episode in behavioral, the behavioral section of this assessment. So you can like scroll back up to the beginning and go through all that. It's all in there. It's all pretty much in there. The assessment may also explore how a candidate copes with the emotional and physical strain imposed on him or her by the disease of morbid obesity. And I've read like quickly right through this and I'm like, oh, I'm a lot of those. So for example, A, If the candidate has experienced social discrimination or ridicule associated with morbid obesity, at what intensity has this occurred and for how long? What effect has it had on the candidate and how he or she had handled it? Growing up overweight, for me, there is always going to be bullying, teasing, harassment. You know, people treating you differently or feeling sorry for you or just being just straight out mean. For how long? Who knows? For me, it just made me feel like I'm just nobody or, you know, not a good thing. Nothing positive. Okay, B. To what extent is the candidate demoralized over or failed non-surgical attempts to manage morbid obesity? How does he or she handle this demoralization? So, Beating yourself down when you start a program, you do really good, the weight is going off, and whatever timeline it takes, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you either plateau or you get discouraged or you just kind of go back to your old ways and the weight comes back and you beat yourself down as just outright failure many times for me. It's like I'm never going to lose the weight ever. It's always hard. Or just straight up lazy sometimes. You get tired of the planning. Or you get tired of the restrictions or the limits. Or, you know, you just want to like change it up. Like, oh, I'm to have a cheat day today. Or maybe two days. I'll get back on it. Three days. Um, I'll get back on track. Four days. Well, I lost the weight before. I can do it again. 
you know, and I'll, I'll get back to it. That was me. Does a candidate equate morbid obesity to a personal defect or a behavior problem? If so, does he or she compensate for this by overextending oneself at home, at work, or with friends? Does a candidate have a tendency to take care of other people at the expense of his or her own health and well-being? Is he or she a caretaker and puts the needs of others above his or her needs? Is the candidate able to ask for what he or she needs? That was pretty much me too. I put myself last. Not number one, not number two. I wasn't even in the top 20. Let's put it that way. Everybody was first. Everyone within arm's reach or a 10 minute drive from me, I put first. D, finally, to what extent does the candidate have control over his or her environment, feeling helpless or without control over one's environment increases the risk for depression and for treatment non-adherence? Environment... It depends, but that was not one of my stressors. It was not one of my triggers. When it comes to environment, I adapted, I guess I could say. I I don't think it was my environment that contributed to my 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 triggers to eat. Psychopathology. I think this is the last section. Psychopathology need not preclude a candidate from having a bariatric surgical procedure. Before scheduling surgery, however, the practitioner will need to determine and document that the candidate is emotionally stable, adequately informed of the risk for a psychiatric episode or an emotional crisis after surgery, and has a mental health action plan in place as a precautionary measure. So it's just to see with everything that you're going to be prepared for, are you going to be okay or have a game plan, a backup plan in case something happens and make you flip and go the other way and self-sabotage yourself? You need to have a backup plan to help counter that and keep you on the right path. Sometimes it's not easy. So specifically, the assessment needs to address A, whether there is a history of or current self-destructive or suicidal behavior, ideation plan or attempt to the outcome of this behavior and the resultant interventions, if any. Do you have a self-destructive behavior or suicidal behavior? More of that was explained in the previous section. Just got to go the earlier pages before six. Uh, page six. Any history of psychiatric hospitalizations, the circumstances precipitating this, the type of treatment provided, and its efficacy. I haven't had none, but if you did, you, you should take note of this. Any psychiatric history, including major affective and psychotic disorders, relevant information should include a thorough history in regard to onset, course, and treatment history. Risk of possible relapse during the immediate and long-term post-operative phases. How the patient plans to meaningfully address these issues should they occur, including both professional and interpersonal supports. Backup plans. You know yourself. You know your needs. Around by now, you kind of have a really strong idea how you are mentally. 
Okay, next page. Is there more? Yes, there is. Of course. Okay, D. The most possible impact of surgery, both from the standpoint of symptom resolution as well as potential exacerbation. Exacerbation. Sorry. (laughs) As I take a sip of my um, drive-thru coffee. Sorry. In general... A documented period of at least six consecutive months of good stabilization as it pertains to both symptom and medication management is required before the patient is ready for surgery. Excuse me. <laughs> that was the coffee. Okay, that that just threw me off. I am so sorry. But if you're reading along with me, you kind of have an idea. Outpatient psychotherapy history, including recent and current treatments. Information should be obtained from the patient's treating providers regarding the patient's emotional stability, coping skills, psychological resources, and ability to manage life stressors, impulse control issues, and compulsions, as well as the client's capacity to follow directions and adhere to self-management guidelines. Wow. Treating medical health professionals may also provide valuable information concerning what they believe will be the most difficult change or adjustment for the patient during the post-operative phase and what reservations, if any, they have about the candidate's decision to pursue bariatric surgery. You never thought all this got into it and you just thought you're just going to go and have a surgery. Mm -hmm. With any candidate that presents with an ongoing psychological condition for which they are currently seeking treatment, it is important to remember that due to the complexity of the post-surgical processes and psychological responses to those experiences, the fact that weight loss will positively affect self-esteem or depression may not be sufficient grounds to proceed for surgery. This surgery is not going to fix everything. It's not a do-all. It's not a button that's going to be like life is going to be butterfly and roses from here on. It's a trip. (laughs) I can't think of a better word than that. It's going to be a trip. It's going to be a mind trip. You're going to trip out at the fact that your body is going to reject things that you it's just not going to operate and function the way you want it to immediately after surgery. It's an adjustment to the body of how it's going to react after all the changes that was made in there. You will have to change with the body. Your body is not going to change the way you think. You will have to adjust to what it's going to want to do after you made those changes in there. You're at the whim of your body now. Let's <laughs> put it that way. You're going to have to duck and weave and roll with the punches of what your body decides to do from there on. You know, you got to find peace with it. You have to, what do you call it? Something like a new relationship. It's not always going to go your way, but compromise. Otherwise, you're just going to be sick the whole time. The history and course of psychotropic medications. If the candidate is stable on psychotropic medication regimen, information needs to be gathered about the length of stability, frequency of follow-up visits, or the need for possible titration or reevaluation of the current medication regimen prior to the surgical procedure. Not too sure I said those two words right, but... Hey, I'm going to roll with it. As many psychiatrists and general physicians are unaware of the potential changes in mood and mental status that may occur after surgery, 
it is vital that the evaluating clinician operate from a level of expertise that allows them to function as both an interventionist and patient advocate. If you're on any medications, they need to know everything. You want to have all your bases covered. That's what it is. All right, last one. The potential medication issues post-surgery. Many medications affect appetite and weight gain. The medications interact with potential post-operative conditions like dehydration, and some are no longer appropriate in the same form as pre-surgery, etc. Yeah, there are some things, medications that you take or have taken forever before the surgery, and then you take it after surgery and your body's like, what the heck is going on? Actually, me, after surgery... I got this, uh, for some reason, after surgery, I've become allergic to certain antibiotics. Any Anything with sulfur in it, I can't take. I'll have like the swelling lips and the itch and, and the whole thing that goes on with your throat, you know, and I just get funky. I got treated for something else that happened after surgery and I'm like, oh, I get the usual prescription and I'm like, nope, ER, weird reaction, what was I taking? Something I usually would normally have taken, now I'm allergic to it. So (laughs) you just gotta roll with it, like I said. But that's about it. This is my stop. Developmental history, next episode. If you have any questions regarding what we just covered, hopefully you were following along with me with a copy of it. Otherwise, a lot of the stuff I was saying may not have made sense. Who knows? It may have been comical to you. If you'd like to share your stories, I'd love to have you on too. We can share that too. I'm going to have a few friends like my coworkers that had the surgery after me. When I finally get a chance to get together with them when restrictions in Hawaii has kind of loosened up a bit more lately. But when they are comfortable to come out and hang out, we'll, we'll, we'll get that going too. So if you want to connect with us, you can go ahead and look us up on Facebook and Instagram under both with bariatric stories or to make it even easier for you you can go over to the podcast description with a tree link link there it'll give you a list of links that you can um, connect with us with facebook instagram uh, the bariatric stories blog the psych assessment the asmbs psych assessment there's a link there for that and links to all of the other streaming platforms that you can listen to this podcast on which I'm not sure which one you are listening to this podcast with. So thank you so much for listening over the years. I'm sorry. I have been very lazy. (laughs) I'm going to admit that and be straight up about it. But hey, two podcasts in one year, 2021 looking good. That's the best I've done so far, but I will do better. I promise. And we will continue on with the psychological assessment um, in the next episode. So until next time, take care, be safe, and be blessed.